Baby Dara Mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 56 Q&A with Kay. Before I get to the questions, we had a testimonial come through that literally rocked me to my core. As a reminder, every single time I go to press record on this podcast, my primitive part of my brain says, you don't need to do that. Just let them enjoy the 55 episodes. You don't need to do number 56. Let's do it later. The lawn men are here. You don't have time. All these voices come out. And then I get emails like this, which is the gas to my car. I was given permission to share this. She says, hi, I did your June parenting boot camp, and I wanted to say a massive thank you. I had a very aggressive son. He's broken my nose burnt his newborn sister. The list is endless. I have social services involved and was close to losing my five children, but doing your boot camp has allowed me to see where I was going wrong. I mean, if I've tried every chart, etc., and I'm two months away from the last court conference and it's looking like they, meaning the social services, will back away. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I wish to join the July one. Are you kidding me? I mean, there were tears. I was like, oh my goodness, how can I keep this to myself? Because my brain wants to keep it to myself, but it feels like a responsibility to pay it forward. The ego wants to always make it about me, but the heart always wants to make it about you. So whenever you have that thing, you'll hear your ego start to roar. And that's just when you are making it about you. But when you think, I have to share this with other people, it's a responsibility to pay it forward. Then you're making it about them. What jams people up the most, whatever goal they're going after, is what will other people think. So when you say, what will other people think, you have to change that sentence to, what do I think about what I'm doing versus what are they thinking about what I'm doing? Because if someone says something that pushes a little button, then that just means it's something you're already thinking yourself. So it's the example of if someone says that you have pink hair, it's not going to bother you. They'll say, I don't like your pink hair. And you're like, well, I don't have any pink hair unless you do have pink hair. And you see how that doesn't bring up any emotion because you know it's not even close to the truth. So when you have a good relationship with yourself and a good opinion of yourself in whatever area, and if you're going after a goal and you know that your heart's in the right spot, when someone says something along those lines, then you check yourself so you don't wreck yourself. You're like, okay, let me check my side of the street. Let me check to see if my heart's in the right spot. And if the answer is yes, you keep going. We're always worried about other people thinking about us, but here's a little secret. They're not really thinking about you. It's the five-second rule. They might be thinking about you for five seconds, and then they go on to say, oh, I think my butt looks big in these jeans. Oh, I wonder what I should have for dinner. Am I giving the kids enough vegetables? Why did my boss say that to me? So you are just one of those mini passing thoughts. They're not thinking about you as much as you think they are. It's really your own thoughts being echoed out. And my friend Arliss always said, it's not your business what other people think about you. And I was like, dang, girl, that's so true. We're so worried what other people think about us, but we're not worried about what we're thinking about us. So I thought this week, because I get so many emails between the parenting boot camp and my email, I get so many questions via email and they're very difficult to answer via email because I can't type that much. I would be literally chained to my computer. 
And so I thought I'll take some questions that I've gotten through email and through the parenting bootcamp. And so many of them are so similar that I just picked a few to talk about here. And then you can take whatever I'm saying, put it into your heart, process it, and then you come up with your own answer. Because my whole goal of this podcast is not for you to look at me as the expert of your child or even a child expert, but to look within that you already have your answers within yourself. I heard a quote the other day. She said, instead of getting furious, why don't you get curious? And I was like, dang, that's so good. Choose curious over furious. So whatever answers I give, that is not the end all be all. That is just one way of a hundred different ways that are right. And whenever you're coming up with a solution to anything, I love the quote by Dr. Phil and the question he always asks all of his guests, how's that working for you? How's it working within your four walls? Someone asked me my opinion of co-sleeping with children in the bed. And I said, how's it working for you? Is it working for you and your spouse and your kids? Is everyone sleeping well? Is there no resentment from the spouse? Then that means it's working. If it's not working and people aren't sleeping or the spouse feels neglected, then that's not working. That's how you know if it's a good idea or not a good idea. You get to create your four walls however you want to create your four walls. So I want to give you that assertive pack leader energy that Randy Rubenstein always talks about and come from a place of yes, that everything is figure outable. Bethany Frankel from Housewives. I'm obsessed with Bravo, by the way. I think you should know that if you don't know it already. And she always says, come from a place of yes. I think she even has a book written, come from a place of yes. So whatever someone gives you advice or suggestions or you read something online and you're like, that would never work. When I was teaching, I remember a little girl named Bianca, sweet as a doll. And I would start a lesson, let's say, in math. And I'd say, okay, boys and girls, today, and I talk just like this in my sing-song voice, we're going to do double-digit addition. We're going to have two numbers on top and two numbers on bottom. And we're going to add them together to make kind of an even bigger number. Are you ready? That's how I would talk. I'm not kidding. And Bianca would raise her hand every single stinking honking time. I'm like, yes, Bianca. She's like, I don't understand. I'm like, well, I haven't explained anything yet. So that's why you, no, it's too hard. I can't do it. So she was coming from a very fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Fixed of like, it's too hard. It's going to be a big number. And I'm already checking out. And a lot of times we do that because the brain doesn't like to work that hard. And so sometimes I'll get advice or I'll get a suggestion or I'll read something and my brain will go, nope, that won't work. That won't work because. Instead of coming from a place of yes, like maybe it could work. How could I make it work? How could I make it work for our family? How could I make it work in our four walls? Just because another four walls is doing it different, guess what? Their way is right and my way is right. There is no right way. It's all about how you're sleeping at night. Are you controlling your side of the street? And do you have your eyes on your paper? Because everyone is taking a different test, a different classwork that they're working on. So if you're looking at your neighbor's paper, just like when we're in school, Your neighbor's paper is going to have different questions, which means different answers. So if you just look and say, neighbor has answer B for number seven, and then you answer B on your number seven, they're different questions because everyone's in a different class at a different time. And the classes never go away. That's life. It's the school of life. We're all in earth school together. So don't look at your neighbor's paper unless your neighbor has written cliff notes for that test that you're about to take. Then use them as your crystal ball to learn from them and grow from them versus I have to have the same answers as my neighbor. And I don't mean your neighbor, neighbor, but I mean whoever you're comparing yourself to or worried about or thinking that they're thinking about you, they're not thinking about you. I promise. And this will help you so much to make decisions for yourself because I have a lot of clients that I work with. They're so used to pleasing their parents and their coaches and their professors and their teachers and their peers that when they become a grown up, they don't know how to make decisions for themselves. 
So they're always looking external for that validation that this is the right way because they want very low risk. And so they want it all figured out, all mapped out first, then they'll take action. And I always say, take action and then you'll figure out the way. People want to know the way, you have to take action to figure out the way versus what's the way and then I'll take action. And then you figure, oh, that worked. I'll do that more. That didn't work. I'm not going to do that anymore. And so you're always playing with life instead of always trying to get the A. So Ashley asked, how do you handle your own emotions if you're tired and worn down and dealing with daily demands of the kids? I've noticed I'm especially sensitive to loud noises. I always have known this about myself. I've developed my own coping mechanisms, but when my children are loud and screaming, then I freak out. It can be as simple as them singing loudly while I'm on the phone or screaming during crying and tantrums. Any advice to cope? Oh, girl, you are speaking my language. I am officially, unofficially diagnosed of having misophonia. So I am very sensitive to not only loud noises, but also certain noises. Like if someone's chewing in a certain way, I get like ragey. If someone is chewing with their fork or they take food off their fork in their mouth and their teeth hit the fork, I call it sparking. It makes my skin crawl. If someone has a water bottle and they go to recycle it and they crush it and put it in the recycle bin, nails on a chalkboard, I'm telling you. I'm recording this in my closet because I'm such a sound junkie. So I get that. And when I was teaching, I had 20 to 25 first graders. Oh my loud. So it's kind of like what Michelle Obama says, when they go high, you go low. So when my students or my classroom would get extra loud, I would literally talk like this. Boys and girls, it's very loud in here. We have to turn down the volume a little bit. Or if I'm in my house and it's getting loud, then my energy gets lower and quieter. A lot of background music helps. Christian music we love playing in the background or easy listening on Alexa. Or sometimes I'll even put on meditation music and candles. And when I'm talking to my kids, I'm talking in a voice like this. But if they're freaking out and then I freak out, it's going to add even more insult to injury. So think about the word temper tantrums. It is our job to temper their tantrum. It is our job to temper their temperament. Because when they are freaking out and they're in the red zone, remember, they're drunk on emotion. So we have to sober them up with our calm energy. And everyone always says, that's easier said than done. And everything in life is always easier said than done. But this is when you model self-control to show them self-control and what to do when you're tired, when you're hangry, when you're stressed out. Because if you're tired, stressed out, worn down, and you're flipping out, then when they're tired and worn down and stressed out, then they're going to think, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to flip out. So the calmer you are, the calmer they become. And then you're also modeling it for next time. The goal is to be a proactive parent versus a reactive parent. Because if we freak out when they're freaking out, then they learn, I need to freak out when the tension gets high. But when we are the calm in their storm, and my sister always says to her kindergartners, I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm. And that sometimes is a reminder to us also when I'm saying those words, I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm. Because right then at that time is when you detach and you see your child as really having a hard time versus giving you a hard time. And when you can see your child like that really struggling, kind of like if you've ever seen your child fall down on the playground, let's say they're on the playground, they're three years old, they fall down and it's a bad fall. You're sitting with your girlfriend and you're like, oh man, that was a tough one. Oh man, let's not react, let's not react. Because if you know, if you freak out and be like, are you okay? Oh my gosh, I can't believe how much you fell. If you're like, oh, it looks like you fell. Oh, bummer. But if you're freaking out, then they're gonna totally freak out. 
But even though you're freaking out on the inside, you're calm on the outside because you know that if you freak out, it's going to make them freak out even more. So think about physical pain the same as emotional pain. They're freaking out emotionally because they have this huge vibration going through their body and they're scared to death. So they're looking at us like the flight attendant on a turbulent plane to realize, is this an emergency? Is this a problem? And then if we're freaking out with them, then they're really going to freak out. So it's adding gas to the fire. And I only know this because I used to add gas to the fire. I needed my kids to be happy all the time. And if they were happy all the time, then that meant I was doing a good job as a mom. I used them as my barometer for how I was doing. They were my report card. Guess how well that worked for me? Not so well. So what I try to empower you guys to do is to focus on your side of the street and your paper and your test and not look over at their exam and not look over at their test and not go over in their lane. And when you find yourself going over in their lane, then you just bring it back to yourself. Because at the end of the day, the mommy guilt does not come from what the kids do. The mommy guilt comes from controlling our side of the street. So this is super empowering work because once you slow your role, then they learn how to do it too. And what happens is the tantrums are less frequent, they're less intense, and they're with less duration. But they never go away, nor do we want them. That's crazy, Kelly. How can you love tantrums? How can you love it when they get upset? Because I want to normalize it for them as much as humanly possible. So when they are grown and flown, they know this is part of the human experience. Being happy all the time is not the goal. So you feel disappointed, you feel frustrated, you feel sad, you feel overwhelmed. I get that. I feel that way sometimes too. And then also, when you give yourself grace, when you're in that kind of worn down feeling, you see it from your kid's point of view when they're worn down and they've come home from a long beach trip and everything bothers them. You're like, oh, they're just super worn down. I get that. So then there's no tug of war. There's no like back and forth. The other day, Grady was really mad at me. He's like, I'm so mad at you. And in that moment, I want to be like, why are you mad at me? I instituted a new rule because he loves reading books while he's eating like a snack at the counter. And he was reading on his Kindle at this time. And I said, oh, buddy, we're not allowed to have electronics and water together. He's like, can you let me yesterday? I was like, yeah, because I thought that was a one-time deal, but it looks like it's like becoming a thing. So you're fine to get a book, but we don't do iPads around water. And he's like, I am so mad at you. I can't believe it. I'm like, and again, in this moment, I wanted to defend myself and be like, great, you know, and start to like prove my point and like banter with him. But I just let him be mad at me. And I agreed with him. I'm like, oh, buddy, I get that. I would be mad too. I get mad at myself sometimes. Sometimes I get mad at daddy. And David was sitting there. He's like, what did I do? I'm like, sometimes I get it. I get mad at myself. Sometimes I get mad at daddy. I've felt mad before. And then he kind of looked at me like, well, that's not very fun. Because when they're in that red zone, they want someone to fight against. But I just dropped the rope. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I changed the rules, dude. I changed it midway. I want to be like that S-U-C-K-S, but I, didn't, I don't say that word with them. And so he kind of looked at me like, huh. And then later I'm like, that was a really bummer that you can't bring the iPad to the counter anymore. He's like, yeah, what's that all about? I'm like, I get it, dude. I just get really nervous with electronics and water put together. So then I could have that rational conversation with him when he was out of the red zone. What I always say is when they're mad, when they're sad, when they're angry, everything is NBD. No big deal. The more upset they are, the calmer you are. It's very counterintuitive because you feel like you need to match their energy, but it's just the opposite. When you don't match their energy, they get through the storm faster. They normalize the emotion and they're not pushing it down so much. Then they're allowed to have their feelings. And then later you can have the chat. Later you can have the consequence if it was a consequence worthy thing. Conscious parenting is not about letting your kids get away with anything because their throbbing spirit said to. It's about having those conversations later, doing a rewind. And sometimes they handle them themselves because you've just normalized and you're like, oh, okay, that's over. So I get loud feelings. 
But just know that when you are calm when they're freaking out, then they're going to learn to be calm when they're freaking out. Because a lot of times kids are afraid to freak out because they know they're going to get in trouble. So they're holding it in and holding it in. And they're like a Pepsi bottle that's been shaken up and they're just holding it in, holding it in, holding it in. And then they explode over nothing because what you resist will only persist. The more you allow it, like I said, the less it happens, less frequency and less intensity. But we never want it to go away. We want them to experience the human experience as much as possible while they're in our four walls. So then when they leave our four walls, they have a good sense of emotional literacy. But we have to know about emotional literacy first. And if we weren't taught it, then it's like learning a second language so we can teach it to our kids. And that's okay. They're worth it. Okay, the next question comes from Diana. She says, your before just described me exactly. I'm so stressed all the time, but I don't know how to unhook. I'm watching my behavior kill my relationships with my kids, and it's like a slow motion train wreck that I can't seem to stop. Such a good question. It's like a lot of times we know what to do, and then we're in the heat of the moment, and then everything goes out the water. We lose our mind when they're losing our mind. And just know that that comes from ego, and that comes from fear, and that comes from the little girl inside of us that is so afraid of not being good enough. So when we see our kids with big emotions, we feel like we need to match those emotions. And we need to stop those emotions and we need to cease and desist as soon as possible. But it's the exact opposite. In that moment is when you detach the ego, you detach the fear, and then you come from your heart. There is a space between their action and your reaction. It is a nanosecond of a space. When you practice this and see what comes up for you and get super curious and not furious, Then that nanosecond turns into a second. Then it turns into two seconds. Then it turns into five seconds. Then you kind of beat it before it comes because you know it's coming. So there's three different stages of consciousness. It's afterwards when we're falling asleep with mommy guilt, which is where I lived for years. I would see it afterwards and be like, oh, I could have handled that differently. Oh, well, she started it. So that's, it was like that justification in my brain. It was like my brain and my heart were having a ping pong competition. Well, if she wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have had to do this. And, then, and so I'm always playing in my head. And he did this. And so he, that's the reason why I did that. I was justifying my behavior. I was focused so much on their side of the street and not focused on my side of the street. Then I started to become conscious. I'm like, whoa. And then I was catching myself in the middle of it. And I'd be like, Lily, I need you to go brush your teeth. I've asked you 14 times and I'm not yelling. And she would say, you're yelling behind your teeth. And I was like, oh, you're right. So just know that they're very sensitive to tone and energy, just like you are. I started this podcast before and been like, hey, guys, welcome to episode 14. Um, today I'm gonna, And you're like, you're probably thinking, what in the world? But just tone and energy is more important than what you're saying. So when they go high, you go low. Everything is NBD. The more upset they are, the calmer you are. You are the flight attendant on their turbulent ride. And what happens over time is that it becomes more proactive where the kids then can start labeling their emotion And they don't go from zero to 10. They might go from zero to four and be able to stop themselves because they're like, okay, I need to practice my breathing. I know this is coming. This is normal. You can be the diffuser, but then you're also teaching them how to diffuse. What's really motivating for a lot of my parents that I help is knowing that the way that we treat them now is how they're going to be expected to be treated later. And when I mean later, I mean when they're like in high school and they find a boyfriend or they find a girlfriend or in college, if they go to college or their spouse. We are setting the blueprint and the framework for how they should be treated when they're in their young adult relationships. This is powerful stuff. When they are growing and developing, we are teaching them what to expect and what love looks like, what love feels like, what to expect from somebody else, 
how to expect to be treated. We can't control their side of the street. We can only control our side of the street. We're working on our homework, our classwork, our exam. This is super empowering work. Instead of giving them the reins for how we're doing, you are in charge of you, just like if a police officer pulled you over and you weren't speeding and you're really mad, you would get curious and not furious. You're not going to lose your mind on a police officer. Just like if my kids were over at your house and doing some naughty things, you're not going to freak out on them because they don't belong to you. So that detachment is huge and detaching sounds very heartless, but it's actually just the opposite. It's very heart filling because you're detaching the ego, controlling your side of the street and creating that space between their action and your reaction. And there is so much power in that pause, and that is where all your growing is coming from. The next question comes from Sharon. She says, how do you stop from being triggered by their actions or emotions? And I always say, don't stop the trigger. Don't stop the emotion. That's when the power comes in the pause, because no one can push your buttons. No one. Not your ex-husband, not your ex-wife, not your kids, not your current spouse, not your dog, not your boss, not your mother-in-law, not your mom, not your dad. No one can push your buttons. What they're doing is they're pushing on your ego and you want that to happen because when you want that to happen and you allow it, the ego gets softer. It doesn't get so ferocious. And sometimes I'll talk to my ego like it's a little kid. I'll be like, and I call her Edith. I'm like, it's okay, Edith. I know you're afraid to press record on the podcast. It's okay. I know you're trying to help me and you're trying to keep me safe. Thank you. I hear you. And now we're going to listen to the heart. The heart is now going to take over. And then the ego gets stronger and has a little temper tantrum. Like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't press play on the workout. Don't press play on the podcast. Don't go build a business. Don't go write that book. Don't put yourself out there. We will get hurt. We're going to get burned. And I just say, it's okay, Edith. We're going to do it anyway. And my girlfriend calls her ego Gladys. So you can become friends with your ego and just know that your ego is the bodyguard for the little girl or little boy inside of you who maybe didn't feel seen or didn't feel heard or didn't feel validated. Or maybe you did, but the little girl who was had to get the straight A's and had to be perfect or had to be happy. Not because anyone told you to, but it was a self-imposed pressure you put on yourself. And that little girl still lives inside of all of us. The fear of not being good enough is what every human being walks around worried about. Me included on this podcast when I'm helping a client, when I'm helping someone to become a life coach, when I'm helping someone lose weight, when I'm helping a mom who can't stop yelling. How can I help? How can I serve? I make it about them and not about me. But the ego always wants to make it about me. Your ego wants to always make it about you. What is this child making me look like when we're at Walmart? Be super curious instead of furious. And in that moment, you'll see what your triggers are and then you lose power over time because you realize, oh, this has everything to do with me and not anything to do with them. Because if this was Lily and Grady in my house, I would not be triggered. My buttons wouldn't be pushed. But my being triggered, I'm being pushed because I'm so afraid of messing it up. And I only know this because I parented from that fear-based place for years. I was so afraid of messing it up that I was parenting from that fear-based place, and that's where I was messing it up. Isn't that ironic? But I wasn't worried about that when I was in the schools because I knew that those children didn't belong to me. But Lily and Grady came from my uterus. It took us six years. I know I dealt with all those behavior problems in the past. I put my parents on a pedestal and David's parents on a pedestal, so I had to be just like them. So much pressure. Parenting wasn't very fun. I wasn't enjoying these beautiful miracles from God gifted to me after six years of trying. I'm like, I could have had a V8. So then I was parenting from abundance versus from lack. 
And the voices never go away. I still have them pop up. Are you there for them enough? Are you loving them enough? Are you showing up the way you want to show up? And I just say, yes, I'm doing my best and I'm going to forget the rest. B minus all day because I know that our union is perfect. They were hand chosen from God and I am perfect for them. I was hand chosen from God to be their mother and to be their soul having a human experience with them. So take the pressure off your shoulders because it's only putting pressure on their shoulders. And I only know this because I live this. So I think I'm going to answer some more questions for next week. So if you have any questions, send them to coachingkelly at AOL.com and I will feature you on the next podcast. I'll talk to you next week. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.